And that brings us then to our strategy. How do we do this? If vision answers the question why, mission answers the question what are we to do, then strategy asks, answers the question how do we do this? It sounds great. But how do we do this? Where do we start? What are the nuts and bolts of this? We know the goal. We know the mission. We know that the, the mission is kind of the road we take to get to the goal, but what are the tools, the, the vehicle, the weapons, whatever you want to call them, the tools that we can get on this road, this mission, to eventually see that goal, that destination, which is God's glory? How do you become a disciple who makes other disciples? So this is what we call our strategy. And again, this isn't some unique strategy for Life Mission Church. I think this is the strategy that has... Uh, shown in God's word for his church, for his people, for you. Uh, and I'll go so far as to say, I don't think that your personal, if you were to write out your own vision, mission, and strategy for your life, the why, why you exist, what you're supposed to do, how you do it, I don't think that your vision, mission, strategy should look too much different than this one here because this is what I believe is in God's word for the church. I think that your big goal in your life should be to see God's glory made known through you. And I think the mission that God has called you to is to be a disciple, to make other disciples. And I believe that the strategy that he gives you to accomplish this is the same strategy. The strategy that we have isn't some marketing thing, some kind of church growth thing and some you know, popular book. It's not a business plan. We believe that this mission has given us plainly in God's word that he actually provides the tools for us as a church and as individuals. And so we believe that if we as a church can learn to keep ourselves rooted in Christ through these three primary means of grace, God's word, prayer, and gospel community, these three primary tools or weapons or roots, we do believe that we will grow in a way that will cause us to change and become those kinds of disciples, the kinds of disciples that will grow in our own personal holiness and purity, biblical convictions, and that those things would then overflow from us, from our hearts, and into the lives of those around us. We will naturally, or maybe you'd say supernaturally, but we would naturally work out the ministry and purpose that God has called us to. But we have to be given to this strategy, these tools, these weapons that God has given us if we want to get on that road of that mission so that we can get to our eventual destination, our goal, seeing God's glory be made known among the nations, even through our own lives, starting in our own streets, our own places of work, our own schools, and to the nations. So our strategy as a church is we want people to be rooted in the gospel through the word of God, prayer, and gospel community. So our strategy really is our starting point. So we're kind of working backwards from the Advent series, looking at the big picture, God's big goal, sending the Prince of Peace to save us, sending us out, but now we're kind of working backwards now into our starting point. So as we looked at that big picture during Advent and the war and peace kind of uh, idea, these next three weeks, this part two, we'll be looking at the weapons of peace. How? We go about fighting this war for peace. These weapons of spiritual warfare that are intended to bring the peace of God into our own hearts, but then also the ones that enable us to bring the peace of God into the hearts of others. So today, 
we're going to be starting with the Word of God, Sword of the Spirit. Next week, we'll look at prayer. And then the third week, we'll be looking at gospel community and the way that God intends these weapons of peace be used in our own hearts, our own lives, and in the lives of others. So let's pray. And we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. Uh, so you can open there, but uh, allow me to pray as we uh, give God thanks for bringing us here together as a church family. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, beautiful morning. Um, began a little cold, but it was kind of a fresh, brisk, uh, just kind of a, um, a good wake up for us to be out uh, in this kind of weather. And, you know, though we hear the, you know, the cars and the engines going by, but we also get to hear the birds chirping and uh, just be out here feeling the sun uh, upon us. Let me just think of the many blessings you give us, that you've given us now a, a new calendar year. We look back at the, the previous calendar year and, and we give you thanks for the many, many, many things that you've done in our midst. You were faithful through 2020 and we know you're going to be faithful through 2021. You're going to be worthy of praise, worthy of our worship and we need our own hearts, our speech, uh, our thoughts, our attitudes, the tone of our voice. We, we need these things to reflect you. We want to go into this new year reflecting you more than we did in 2020. Um, speaking for myself, Lord, I know that 2020, I think, brought out uh, and exposed a lot of idolatry in, in, in my heart and uh, I became quicker to complain than I probably normally do, and, and I didn't like seeing that. And I believe that for me, 2020 was a, through all the tests and all the trials, uh, you didn't just expose a lot of uh, problems in this world, but you exposed problems in my own heart. And, um, and I want to take these weapons of peace and fight this battle in my own heart. I want the peace of God to rule and reign in my mind, in my heart, in my thoughts, in my speech. And so we want to start off this year uh, looking and focusing in on your word and the role your word has in our lives. Holy Spirit, by your power and your might, would you drive this truth into our hearts, help it find a home in our hearts, and you would lead us in this truth this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we should be looking at verse 12 and 13 here, a very uh, popular verse that speaks of God's word. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of uh, marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, in a world that is filled with a lot of chaos, a lot of division right now, particularly in a world where we see really a lot of uh, ungodliness, 
a society and a culture that is continually turning against God more and more, turning against biblical values, biblical wisdom, biblical truth. It is often, I think, very tempting for us as Christians, as those who do love God's word and who stand on God's word, it's, it's easy and tempting for us to, to use God's word maybe sometimes as a weapon of division, uh, a weapon of destruction, uh, a weapon of shaming others pointing out their flaws, pointing out uh, how they're not living up to God's standards, pointing out others' wrongs, others' sins. We often use God's word as a weapon of self-righteousness. What we oftentimes fail to recognize is that the word of God is primarily, firstly, actually is more like a scalpel for us. Not necessarily one that's supposed to be used on others, though there is a time and a place a context where God uses us to, to help others. We, we know this. This is very clear. This is what godly friendship is for. This is what gospel community is for. But we have to see that firstly, we ought to wield God's word as a scalpel for our own hearts rather than firstly as a weapon against other people. It has to be used to expose and address and remove the sickness of sin and the blind spots from our own selves. And it's only after that, though, when we can see clearly, once we've removed the, the speck in our own eye, it's then that we can carefully, lovingly, graciously, with the right motive, the right hearts, the right gentleness, we can wisely and carefully help do surgery, so to speak, with the scalpel of God's word in those lives of the people that we love. But first, we have to see how God's word affects ourselves. Now, it's important for us to recognize that God's word is unlike any other book. It's unlike any other blog series or any other wisdom, any other philosophy, any other commentary, any other narrative, any other self-help kind of procedures. Because God's word is actually alive. It's alive. The author of Hebrews tells us that it's living and active. And it's living and active because Jesus is living and active. Because Jesus is alive, therefore God's word is alive. God's the one who searches the mind and the heart, and his word is the sword that cuts down through all the muck that's in your mind and your heart. It drives out the, the roots, it divides and discerns your heart and your motives, and it roots out any kind of wrong thinking that you might have, sinful attitudes apathy, whatever it might be, it actively pierces and cuts out cancerous sin that still rests and resides in your heart. You know, when you, uh, you, know, you, you read certain things, whether it's like, a, you know, a certain medicine or maybe if it's certain, um, you know, all kinds of different things, food, you know, sometimes you have a little list of the active ingredients, Right, the active ingredients that are in this medication or whatever it is you're taking, or the food you're taking, the, whatever it is, uh, the Bible is so different from every other book because the Bible actually has active ingredients. The Bible is actually alive. The Bible does work. Everything else is just kind of information, maybe some good tactics, some good advice. But the Bible, the Word of God, actually has active ingredients inside of it. It is living and active. It divides between soul and spirit. And there's a lot of soul 
in our thoughts and feelings and responses about things. When we respond, we hear things, we respond to things. There's a lot of kind of soul, like our own heart, our own flesh, our own feelings and emotions. We often act sort of out of a, a gut instinct of what seems right to us. Here's how I should respond because this is what happened to me. This is what I heard, this is what I saw. So therefore my immediate reaction, my gut instinct is to act this way. Oftentimes we're acting out of the soul, not out of the spirit of God. And the word of God dissects and discerns between what is soul and what is spirit. What's of your flesh and what's of the spirit of God who is actively working in you. It discerns between your opinions and your decisions, your attitude towards others when you're kind of thinking about others out of the soul or out of the spirit. Because oftentimes these opinions, these thoughts we have don't come from God's word. They haven't been shaped by God's word, but they've been shaped maybe by what we personally experienced, what we simply think based on the information that we've gathered. But it's God's word that should be the well by which we draw out our words, our speech, our thoughts. We ought to be drawing from the well of God's word. If, if the words that come out of our mouth show what's in our heart, we should hope that what's in our heart, that the well that's in our heart is God's word. Not just what we think, what we feel, our opinion. We want God's word to be the thing that interprets our experiences. You're going to see a lot of things in this life. You're going to hear a lot of things in this life. You're going to feel a lot of things in this life. You don't want the, that well, that interpreter in your heart to be just you, your soul. As you take in the, the tragedies and triumphs, the chaos of this world, as you, as you bring those things into your eyes, into your ears, into your mind, you should hope that in your heart there is a translator, an interpreter that isn't just you, but it's God's word. God's word helps you see clearly what is going on in this world, what's going on in your own heart, what's going on in the world around you. Our aim should be that it is God's word and wisdom that comes from our mouths, not our words and wisdom. Uh, my, my goal in my life, uh, whenever I say particularly if I'm giving uh, counsel, I'm doing counseling, I'm giving advice, I'm giving my opinion on something, uh, my goal, uh, and I would love to eventually get to this place in my life, my goal is that when I'm asked something, some kind of uh, counsel or wisdom, that the first words out of my mouth wouldn't be, well, here's what I think. My goal in my life is that the first words out of my mouth would be, well, here's what God's word says. That's what I would hope would be the first thing that comes out of my mouth. If I'm asked about some kind of wisdom that's needed, some advice, some counsel, I, I would hope I would hope that at some point in the conversation that comes out of my mouth, but I would hope that the first thing that comes out of my mouth is, well, here's what God's word says. And I know that some of these things are wisdom issues, they're not clear, so at some point I'll say, you know, here's what God's word says, so, so here's what I think. But I would hope that I would start with God's word rather than what I think. But for that to happen, I've got to be pouring God's word into my heart, into that well that I draw from. Otherwise, I'm going to be drawn from the well of, of Joby. And I don't want to draw from that well. I know it's a lofty goal to have that as kind of a goal for me, but I intend to continue pursuing that. Because truthfully, if I want to be an ambassador for Christ, then I got to speak his words, not mine. If I'm called 
to be an ambassador for Christ, and I am called to that because we saw this a few weeks ago, we're all called to the same ministry. We're all called to be ambassadors for Christ. So why would we be ambassadors for Christ and then just go around saying what we think? That's not what an ambassador does. An ambassador speaks of the person that he's representing. But I can't do that. You can't do that if you don't have that well in your heart that's filled up with his words. You'll be an ambassador for yourself and your thoughts and your opinion. I need to be speaking his words to my wife, to my kids, to my friends, to all of us, not mine. I want to be an ambassador for Christ. The truth of the matter for all of us is that you and I, we're, we're finite creatures. We only know what we know. I know that's obvious, right? But we only know what we know, and we are very limited in what we know. We're only interpreters. You realize you're not an originator of thought. You feel like it, but everything that you think, everything that you say, everything you respond to, you're interpreting something that you've been given at some point. You've been taught how to speak from when you were little. You've been taught certain things are good and bad. You read things, you hear things, you see things. You're taking in. You are not an originator. Only God is. God alone is the capital C creator. We are merely interpreters. We're responding to things. We respond to physical touch or to angry words. We respond to things like gossip, but, but we don't originate any of these things. We are responders. We're interpreters. We are not self-wise. Any wisdom you have has been given to you. You've had that wisdom shaped because you've learned. You form your own opinions and you respond to events. You make your decisions. You live out your life solely as a response to what you've taken into your mind and into your hearts, what you've been fed, what you've ingested, and what you've allowed to actually form you. You say, oh, I agree with that, but I don't agree with that. You're, you're just interpreting. And you respond as someone who's just interpreted. We think that we're so smart, we're so self-made, we're so original, we're so independent, so educated, we're so in the know, but we should not be so arrogant because you and I are just simply interpreters. We're dependent. And for many, their lens of interpretation as they take in these things is not God's word, but it's maybe political ideals or values or policies or it's their own experience or their own wisdom, their opinions, their emotions, their feelings. And if these things become our lens, these things become our method of interpretation, these things will also then be the weapons that we fight with. If our interpreters, the things that we kind of run sort of through our grid is our emotions or our political ideals, whatever, then that's the weapons we're going to fight with. We'll fight with our emotions. We'll fight with our politics. We'll fight based out of our experience rather than fighting with the sword of peace, with the word of God, with the truth of God's word, the sword of the spirit. And it also will be, end up being the things that we actually fight for. We'll end up fighting for our political ideals, for our emotions, for our experiences. We'll fight with them and we'll fight for them. If that's the thing that we run our grid through, if that's how we interpret this life and interpret the things that happen in our life, then that's what we're going to fight with and that's what we'll fight for. 
Rather, instead, what we ought to be doing is having God's word be the thing that interprets, because if we do that, then that's going to be the weapon we fight with, and it's going to be the weapon we fight for. We'll fight for truth, fight for God's word. We'll fight for the sake of righteousness, but we're going to fight with God's word using this sword as a sort of, of, of peace, bringing God's peace in our own hearts, dividing between soul and spirits, discerning our thoughts and our intentions, equipping us to be ambassadors for Christ, not ambassadors for our feelings, our emotions, our politics, uh, our experiences, just being ambassadors of self. We have to learn how to have God's word be this interpreter for us, filling our minds and our hearts with God's words rather than the opinions of the media or society, the talking heads of any given political party, or our opinions or our desires. The more we take in our favorite pundits and talk radio show hosts and bloggers and news anchors, the more we take those into our minds, the more they are going to be the ones who disciple us. They're going to be the ones who shape our lens. They'll be the ones who actually issue our weapons of warfare. The more we listen to them, the more they say, hey, take this weapon of warfare. Here's how you should fight. Listen to me. This is how you should fight. This is how you should go into combat against those who disagree with you. And they're going to be the ones who then shape and sharpen those weapons. But we need God's word to be our source, our well, and our weapon. Because it's only God's word that can cause us to become more like him. None of these other things are going to cause you to become more like Jesus. None of them. Only God's word can do that. Only God's word can transform us into his image. And God's word is actually the thing that brings about the transformation, the peace of God and communion with him and his people. Jesus said the night before he died, he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane. He said to his father, he, he, he prayed for you. He prayed for you. He said to his father, Father, sanctify them. Sanctify means to change them, to make them holy, to set them apart. Sanctify them in the truth. And he said to his father, your word is truth. Change them by your truth, by your word. Father, would you change your people through the truth that is in your word? This is the kind of transformation that we need if we want to walk in true, real wisdom, real discernment, real objectivity, real patience, real kindness, and have the kinds of heart attitudes and the treatment of others that would re reflect Christ, be an ambassador for Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Crawl up on that altar. A holy sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is how you worship God as you offer yourself up to him. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to your soul, society, the ideals of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Famous evangelist, uh, British evangelist, George Mueller in the early 19th century, he said he'd accomplished so many amazing things in his life. 
He said, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was this, to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing, your, your, your goal, the first thing that's on your agenda, the beginning of the day, the middle of the day, the end of the day, is to be happy in the Lord. You can't be happy in the Lord if you don't know the Lord, if you don't know his promise, you don't know who he is. If you don't have the well of his word in your heart, you can't be happy in the Lord. If your well and your heart is filled with just your thoughts, your opinions, all those things, you're not going to be happy in the Lord. You're going to be frustrated and miserable in the world, but you won't be happy in the Lord. This was George Miller's strategy to accomplish the mission and vision he had for his life and all the amazing things that he accomplished. His number, his starting place was to be happy in the Lord. And God's word is what transforms us and helps us and causes us to become happy in the Lord. And it's God's word because it's alive that has the ability to expose the thoughts and intentions of our hearts is what the author of Hebrews says. It exposes the thoughts, the intentions of our hearts. It does the exposing and discerning of your thoughts and your intentions. It knows your motive even. Now, if you find yourself getting riled up about politics and COVID and shutdowns, and of course, to some degree, we all are in that boat. All of us have a breaking point. Just some have kind of an earlier threshold than others. But if you find yourself in where some of these things kind of take center stage in your minds, center stage in your frustrations, you're always thinking about it. It's always kind of obsessing over it. It heightens your blood pressure. Maybe it brings out the worst of your opinions and your negativity. It brings out maybe the worst for your disdain for others who think differently than you. Your judgment, your contempt of others, your complaining and critical spirits. Especially when you see people going against what you think is correct, what's right, or what's even maybe biblical in your mind. If that's you, if that describes you even just a little bit, you are in need of God's word going to work in you in a way that fights for the peace of God. And again, that's for all of us. But if you find yourself particularly just getting on edge with these things, you are in deep need of God's word going to work in your heart to bring about the peace of God. You're either being conformed to the image of God or being conformed to the image of the world, being conformed to the attitudes, the responses of the world. The image of your political party or your, the image of your political ideals or conform to the image of your idols, conform to the image of the things that you are frustrated with, that you complain about. So you're either being conformed to the image of God or the image of all those other things. I mentioned last week that the book that many of us are reading, If You Bite and Devour, by Alexander Strzok, uh, he talked about going after in our life, going after all the demeaning words that find their way out of our hearts and out of our mouths, going after those words, critical words, maybe, uh, you know, words that nicknames we use for certain people we don't like. Oh, those whatevers, oh, those, those guys. Going after all those words that are demeaning, that are critical, going to war against those things, uh, getting rid of them from out of our vocabulary. For us to truly go after these things, we have to have something else to fill in that hole. When we dig something out, we dig out these negative words that we want to kind of go after, these works of the flesh. If you dig this out, there's a hole that's left. You have to fill that hole. Otherwise, those, those words are just going to grow right back. 
right? You dig out a weed or whatever it is. If you don't fill it with something new, a new plant, then that, something, that, that seed is going to find its way. It's going to just grow right back. We have to fill something in that gap. And I think I might make um, a few folks upset here, partly because I'm going to push a little bit, but mainly because I'm going to discredit your mother. Because I know that your mother probably at some point said, if you don't have anything nice to say, what's the rest? Don't say anything, right? Don't say it at all. And that's well and fine. And we're not going to argue with our moms on this one. That's great. But God's word actually says more than that. God's word says that's an okay start. But we're actually to go beyond that. So it's good. It's a good starting place. Just have a little self-control. If you have nothing good to say about the other people, those guys, then don't say anything at all. That's a great place to start for their sake. But for your sake, you got to go further than that. Here's what God's word says, essentially. It says, if you don't have anything good to say, don't curse them. But Jesus says, rather, bless them. That's what God's word says. Jesus doesn't say, if you don't have anything good to say, just don't curse them. Now, God's word does say, hold your tongue, have self-control. Definitely, that's the starting point. That should be your, your, a C average right there. But God's word actually says, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't curse them clearly, but rather bless them. Open your mouth and bless your enemy. That's a lot harder than just closing your mouth. That is a lot harder than that. God's word calls us to turn the other cheek, to wash feet, to serve people. That takes humility. That takes humility. That takes dying to self. But if we want to dig out the ground of the rotten roots of slander and malice and strife and cutting words, we want to dig those things out. Well, we have to fill that hole with something else to grow there. If you dig it out, it's just going to grow back. So rather than just digging out the, the cursing part, we have to fill that in with the blessing part. We don't just say, oh, let's not do this anymore. Now we've got a hole to fill. What are we going to fill that hole with? Just leave it empty? You know, the erosion is just going to refill that thing. So we've got to actually actively put something in that hole. To do that, we have to put God's word in our hearts to fill that hole so that now when we open our mouths about our enemies, we actually bless them. We actually try to aim to be a blessing to them. We try to serve them. Otherwise, that slander, that mouth is just going to grow back. We have to put off the works of the flesh, but not stop there. What does God's word tell us? To put off and then what? To put on. So it's not enough for us just to say, don't say anything if you have nothing good to say. Yeah, put off, but then you have to put on. We can't just stop. That's a good starting point just to put off, but we have to then put on. If you try to just stop, that probably will only work for a short amount of time. You got to be active. You got to be active. You got to do work. You got to take up that, that sword of the spirit, that weapon of peace. And you got to be active. Here's what Paul says in Colossians chapter three, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because on account of those things, because of all those things that we do, the wrath of God is coming. 
In these things, you too, as a Christian, you at one point, you walked in these things. You did these things when you were living in them. But now you have to put them all away. He's going to give some more examples. You put away now anger. Think about what makes you angry. Make it your aim to put that anger away. Whatever it is that brings anger to your life, you need to make it your aim to put that away. I want to, before I continue in Colossians here, I know this seems so impossible. You really expect me to put away my anger towards this person or that thing? Do you know what they've done to me? Do you know what they're saying? You expect me to put all my anger away? And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't really expect you to do that because I know most of you. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, God's word expects you to do that. God's word expects me to do that. God's word expects me to put away all my anger, all my desire to gossip or slander, to cut, cut down other people. I mean, let me ask you, why do you come to church? Why, why do you come here? Do you, do you come here to get the attaboy? You come here to... Make yourself feel good about where you're at in your life. You, you come here to, uh, just so you can be sort of, um, just kind of pat on the back. To make yourself feel more righteous than those people out there. Or do you come here to be changed? I mean, do you really want to change? Or do you just want to come here and feel good about yourself? Because you're not like them. Or are we coming here to change? You just want a gold star? We can get some gold stars for you guys if you guys want gold stars. You can get a gold star as you leave. You got to make it through. You got to stay through communion, though. Right, you can't leave early. We can get gold stars, but I don't, I don't think that's why you guys come here. I don't think you want me to just sit up here and preach to us as if we've all arrived. We've got all our ducks in a row. We're in the know. We're the ones doing the right thing. We're just going to sit here and just kind of sing kumbaya and just kind of congratulate each other. I don't think that's what you guys want out of this. I hope that's not what you want. And if you do, I hope that over time that will change. I think that you want me to preach to you as a sinner who is in desperate need of the changing grace of God. I think that's what you want. I, I know that's what I want. That's why I preach to myself when I'm preaching here. I preach first to me because I need this. I think that we come here because we need the changing and sustaining grace of God. I'm not here to preach some cheap gospel and just affirm your righteousness. That's not why I come here. I, I come here to preach and call us to repentance, to call us to transformation, to be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. And we can't do that if we are not putting God's word in our hearts each and every day. So to continue in... Colossians, verse 8. So now you must put all these things away. Anger, you got to put away your wrath, your malice, slander, your obscene talk from your mouth. And this list isn't exhaustive. Cynicism, you name it. Your, your desire to discourage people, your one-upmanship, whatever it is, you, you, you fill that out. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and after the image of its creator. 
here, here in God's midst, in the church, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, Democrat or Republican. It's not actually in there. But it's true. But Christ is all and he's in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Here's the part about God's word here. Let the word of Christ dwell, let it live, let it work in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We have to put off all these old ways, but then replace them with the word of God dwelling in us and then we have to water that word so that it grows strong. Uh, the, the graphic, the image that we use for our vision, our mission, our strategy is a, it's, a, it's a tree. And in that graphic, the roots at the bottom is God's word and prayer and gospel community. And we, we have that because those are the things that God has given us uh, in order for us to be able to have ourselves immersed in the gospel. These are the, the roots, the connection for us. See, because if you're, if you're a tree, if you're actually a tree, it's not actually enough to just have roots. Those roots have to actually be soaking in water, otherwise the tree will die. So you can't just have roots. That's not enough. As a believer, it's not enough for you just to have a Bible or just even, to be honest, even just to read a Bible. It's not even enough as a believer to simply pray or go to church. The goal isn't to pray more or go to church every week or read the Bible every day. That's, there's actually more to it even than that. I mean, we know that the Pharisees, they knew scripture. They had scripture memorized. They prayed every day. They spent plenty of time amidst the congregation of God's people in the temple. So they, did, they had the roots. But it did nothing for them except make them self-righteous. Their problem is that their roots weren't immersed in the gospel. Their roots weren't immersed in the water. Their roots were just there. They just existed. We need more than just to have a Bible and read a Bible. These things are meant to connect us to Jesus, not just make us better people. We can use God's word to justify our, our turned up noses, our condescending attitudes, our judgmentalism, or you can use God's word as the sword of the spirit that is the scalpel for your own heart. One that cuts and puts off the deeds of the flesh. And then itself dwells in you richly to conform you into the image of Christ. Going back into Hebrews chapter four, I'll read it again. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Jesus similarly says, that last part there, that I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that they speak. 
For by your words you'll be justified, not meaning unto salvation, uh, and by your words you'll be condemned. Your words are going to prove if you're really a disciple, if you're really an ambassador. And we have to give an account for every careless word that we speak. How many of you really take that seriously? Does that strike fear in your hearts? Because it should. Every careless word, every thoughtless word that you speak, you're going to have to give an account. Look again in Hebrews. No creature, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That should stop us in our tracks the next time we open our mouths. That should stop us in our tracks the next time we want to reply to someone on social media. It should cause us to want us to change how we speak. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 141 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I hope nothing comes out of here that isn't from you. We need a, a guard over our mouth, a filter that helps us discern what to say, what not to say, when to say it, when not to say it, how to say it, how not to say it, rather than just arrogantly and thoughtlessly showing our lack of wisdom and discernment and just broadcast every careless thought, every careless opinion that we can't think comes to mind about this person or that person or this thing or that thing. Rather, going back to Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. I'll close with this scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word is the weapon that even disciplines us and equips our own hearts, our minds, our tongue, our speech. It teaches us. It reproves us. It corrects us. It disciplines us and trains us and equips us in righteousness. Church, I want to ask you to please do not be content with your own wisdom. Don't be content with that. Don't settle on what you already know or what you think you already know. Don't settle on how you currently respond to situations and people. Always aim to be reproved and corrected and taught and trained in righteousness by the word of God. And we all need more of this. None of us have arrived. None of us have arrived. We need this weapon of peace first in our own hearts so that we can then bring it to others. Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's good for all these things to teach us. And Paul says specifically, it's so that the man of God can be complete. Do you want to be complete? You want to be equipped for every good work? Think about the good works in your life that you want to accomplish. Being a good parent, being the best spouse you can be, being the best uh, counselor for your friends. You want, to, you want to do those things well? Paul says that it's God's word that trains you for all these things and makes you complete and equipped for all those good works. That's what I want in my life. I want to be equipped for every good work. And I know the only way for me to do that is through God's word, working and dwelling in my heart, going to work as a scalpel in my own heart. This is how I'm going to accomplish the, the mission that God has called me to and eventually hopefully see that vision that he has for me and for the church. God's word is the active ingredient in all of this. This last quote in your notes there by Jonathan Edwards. He said, seek to follow your guide, 
which is not your emotions or the commentaries, the politicians. Seek to follow your guide, which is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your, your word is um, forever fixed in the heavens. It's powerful and alive. Your word tells us that you've elevated above all things your name and your word. And we ought also then to elevate in our life above all things your name and your word. There should be nothing that goes above those. There should be nothing that is more important to us, nothing that is what drives us, that we stand upon. But we should have above all things in our life your name and your word. Help us as your church, as your people, to believe and trust in this particular strategy that you've given to your church, your people, to be people who are given to your word, to prayer, and to gospel community, that these roots would not just exist in our life, but they would connect us to Christ, connect us to the good news of Jesus it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. We need your word to be that conduit of grace that comes into our hearts and in our minds and transforms us and conforms us into the image of your son. Help us to be the ambassadors that you desire for us to be, representatives of you, not of us, but of you. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.